Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of that time, when the king had commanded they, that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in, his, in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now we're going to spend most of our time tonight dealing with this, looking into Daniel's decision not to defile himself with the king's food. We're going to spend our whole time tonight dealing with that issue. Now the key here, though, is that Daniel felt that in eating the king's food, he would defile himself, which means become unclean in the sight of God or not pleasing to God. By the way, I don't know if you all know this or not, but the Bible says that's how we all should be living. Go real quickly with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 31. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I've got to be honest with you. It's a little easier for me to say it now that I've lost a few pounds. That's been one of the hardest things for me over the years as a preacher is to talk about doing everything to the glory of God. And then I had that big belly. As one preacher said, my sin is always before me, you know, <laughs> but uh, but let me just tell you, the Bible's very, very clear that we are to live our lives in considering whether God will be pleased with what we do. Now, I'm going to make a statement that I have to reiterate all through this study. As we get into what we're going to look at tonight, you do not make yourself the judge of the people around you, whether or not they're doing it right. That's going to get you into trouble with God. You're going to see tonight that God has a plan for each of us, and we would do real well to obey what his plan is for each of us. We're going to talk about living for the glory of God, but at the same time, it's not bringing glory to God when you become God over someone else, especially his servants. And so as we look at this truth, allow God to show you how he wants it to be played out in your life tonight. So how would eating the king's food defile Daniel and his Jewish friends? Now, some have tried to use this passage to teach vegetarianism as the way to live. By the way, that doesn't match up with scripture. All right, let me, let me just show you what I'm talking about. Go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 
Genesis 9, verses 1 through 6. This is after the flood. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the flesh of the sea, a fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that, you, that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So if you remember, before the flood, God only had mankind eating vegetables, if you will, from the fruit of the ground, if you will. But after the flood, he actually said, now I'm going to put a fear of you in the animals, and you're allowed to eat the animals. That's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I love also in 1 Kings where it talks about how Elijah was hiding at the brook Kareth and God had ravens breading bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. So to try to teach that the Bible says that vegetarianism is the way to go is unbiblical. Let me show you another one. Go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel here in this section we looked at this morning, or this morning, sorry, just now here in chapter 1, actually uh, we showed that he ate only vegetables for that period of time. But in Daniel chapter 10, Look at verse 2. Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So what does that tell us now? Yes, during Daniel chapter 1, during those three years, he didn't drink the king's uh, wine or eat the king's meat. And he ate only vegetables. But that doesn't mean that's all he ever did, because very clearly he says, I stopped eating meat and drinking wine during that period that I was dealing with that vision that God gave me. So, again, if you let the scripture speak, you'll see that the Bible teaches that eating meat is OK. Actually, we're not going to take the time to turn there. For those of you that love to do this, go look at Leviticus chapter six, verses 24 through 26. Leviticus 6, 24 through 26 shows that the priests, when God gave the, the, the law, the priests were to eat the meat that was being offered as sacrifice to the Lord. There was portions of it that were set aside for the priests. They were to get the meat. So eating meat's okay. Now, also, when Jesus came to the earth in the flesh, at that point, he declared all foods clean. We're going to talk about Levitical laws of what's clean and unclean in just a little bit. But when Jesus came to the earth in the flesh, he declared all foods clean. Go with me to Mark chapter 7. I want you to see it for yourself. Because if you see Mark 7, before we get to Acts 10, Acts 10 is going to make a lot more sense. In Mark chapter 7, look at verses 14 through 23. Oh, some of your headings might even say, what defiles a person? And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand... There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, 
foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So again, now we see defilements tied a little more to your heart than your actual actions. Keep that in mind as we look at this, this question for tonight. But go to Acts chapter 10 now. Familiar passage to many. We're, we'll start in verse 9, Acts chapter 10, verse 9, where Peter is given the vision of the animals on the sheet. In Acts chapter 10, look at verses 9 through 16. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. It's about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being lit down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. Now this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. For years I've asked people, when's the first time we see that God declared all foods clean? And they all say Acts chapter 10, where God said it. No, he'd already said that all foods were clean in Mark chapter 7, when he said what defiles a person is not what goes into them, but what comes out of them. In the same way, that's why when Jesus is speaking to Peter here, he says, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean or common, because he'd already declared all foods clean. So with all that as our background, the vegetarian explanation is off the table is the answer to people trying to use this to teach vegetarianism. Now, with that in mind, go with me to Romans chapter 14. Lord permitting, and hopefully we'll have time, we'll come back to this passage again at the end of our study because it's very, very important for where we need to go. But in Romans chapter 14, look at verses 1 through 4. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith... Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him Stand. Now, we're going to come back to this passage, I say, hopefully, if we have enough time at the end of our study. But again, here in the New Testament, we see there's still going to be some people who think, I think, you know, vegetables is the way you should go. What does the Bible say? Leave them alone. If that's where they are, it's not your job to convince them that it's okay to eat meat. And for those that are comfortable and feel like anything's okay, I mean, the Bible talks about all things are permissible now because we're not under law but under grace, but not all everything's beneficial. Some people feel comfortable eating anything. They shouldn't look down on the people that, aren't, that don't. You shouldn't be judging each other. And there's a tendency as we move into this topic tonight of living our lives in whatever we do to the glory of God. Some of you have some strong opinions as to what you think brings God glory and doesn't bring God glory. Some of you have some strong opinions of what Christians should or should not do. Some of you were raised with certain teachings about movies or cards or music or dancing. And everybody's got these opinions on what is glorifying to God and what is not. And I'm just going to say to you, as you grow in your walk with the Lord, you're going to realize the importance of making sure that you're living in obedience to what God is telling you to do. And that's where you bring glory to God. You don't bring glory to God by becoming the judge of other people. What did Paul say here? Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, God's going to get him where he wants them to be when he gets him there. So as we deal with living to the glory of God, take your eyes off everybody else. 
and put them back to where God wants you to be. All right? You with me so far? Because that's going to be helpful for us as we move into where we're heading next. All right, so taking Daniel 1 to teach vegetarianism is no good. Now, some people say that the Babylonians were offering their food to idols. You do some commentary study on this, and you'll see that they were saying that the Babylonians offered their food to idols, so Daniel wouldn't eat of the meat that had been offered to idols. Let me give you a couple of passages that kind of talk about this a little bit. One is in Exodus chapter 34. Go to Exodus chapter 34 and look at verses 11 through 16. In Exodus 34, look at verses 11 through 16. God says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care that you may, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, for you shall not worship, so, so for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters and your sons and their daughters and whore, whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. So God said, look, I don't want you taking part when they offer their sacrifices to their gods. Now, to be honest with you, if you were to do a study, there's really not a lot of evidence that the Babylonians were sacrificing the meat to their gods, but there's a po strong possibility they probably were because that's how a lot of nations did that. Go with me to first, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll look at verses 1 through 13. This was an issue for sure in the early church, as people were coming out of paganism and into the faith in Christ. There was an issue in the church about whether or not you should eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, and it's dealt with in many places. And one of the places is 2 Corinthians 8, look at verse 1. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Actually, I'm in, I said second. I meant 1 Corinthians. Thank you. That was a passage on giving, which is a great one, but we'll come back to it another time. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, that this knowledge, though, puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. You see how that's coming up a lot? But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods, small gods, small g, gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Remember, that's the people that eat only vegetables we were looking at in Romans 14. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. 
thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So here Paul says, look, there are some people in the church that have come out of paganism, and you know and I know, if we have knowledge, that that meat wasn't offered to anything but the wind. There's no other gods but the one true God. And so you and I are comfortable eating that meat because we know it really wasn't offered to anything. But there are going to be some who still think it was offered to this God. And if you eating it's going to cause them trouble, stay away from it. Which means you're going to have to learn how to, when use your knowledge, and when not use your knowledge. Folks, I will never tell you that you can't ever have a drink of alcohol, because that would actually go against the scriptures. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But I can look you in the eye and tell you for Jim Johnson, this isn't a message for everybody else, but for Jim Johnson, God has made very, very clear that in the role he's given me, which is a very, very public role in a lot of people's eyes, I'm never to have any alcohol. Because there will be those who will be confused by it, those who feel it's a real bad sin, those who have had alcohol problems or whatever, they might be emboldened to go, well, if Jim says it's okay, they may end up in a lot of sin. Because remember, the Bible says anything not done by faith is sin. And so for me, I stay away from that because I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. Well, thank God, we don't really have an issue with our culture today of meat that was offered to idols and stuff like that. So I get to eat the meat. You need to learn in how you live your life when God says it's okay for you to do something and when it's not. And listen, God is not about the law. Do you remember how when they're all caught up about the, the, whether Jesus was keeping the Sabbath and Jesus said, don't you remember how David and his men ate the shoe bread, the holy bread that wasn't allowed for people to eat except the priest? Yet he, Jesus told them the story about how they were given that bread. It's not really about the letter of the law. It's the heart of the law. That's why when David sinned, he says in Psalm 51, you don't desire sacrifice or I'd give it. What you're really looking for is my heart, a broken heart. That you won't despise. And so, folks, as we get into living our life for the glory of God and whatever we do, keep in mind that at a period of time, God may say to you, it's okay, but he may not say to somebody else, it's okay, and you need to be okay with that. Have you ever thought about the fact that back when Naaman was healed of leprosy, he comes to the prophet and he says, I believe in the one true God now. I got a couple of problems, though. I'm going to go back to the foreign land and can I have a bag of dirt? So when I worship the true God, I'll worship on Israel's soil. And the guy prophet says, take a bag of dirt. He goes, I got one more problem. He goes, my, in my job as right hand man to the king, when he bows physically to the God Rimen, he leans on my arm and I physically have to bow with him before this idol but while I do that, my heart will be bowing to the true God, even though my body's bowing before this idol. Is that okay? And in that instance, God told through the prophet him, go in peace. You're good. You're about to see when we get to chapter 3 that no one came to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, let your body bow before the, the golden statue, but in your heart bow to the true God, because in that instance, it would have been wrong. But we keep trying to turn everything into a law, folks. We got a God that's bigger than that, and he's looking for your heart. That's going to be helpful for us answering our question tonight. So did Daniel and his guys not eat the meat because it was sacrificed to idols? Possibly. There really isn't a lot of scriptural evidence that they did that, but it might have happened. That may have been part of what's going on, but I think there's more to it. Now, also, some say that the meat was not allowed to be eaten by the Jews 
since it would have been on the list of meats that God had forbidden in His law. By the way, we do have historical evidence of this. The Babylonians ate pig, and they ate horse. Go to Leviticus chapter 11. I know Leviticus is one of your favorite books. But go to Leviticus chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 23. By the way, let me give you a little hint. The book of Leviticus and the law of God was used by God to teach them holy versus unholy. What does it say in Proverbs 9:10? It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the holy one brings insight. He was teaching them a distinction between holy and unholy. In Leviticus chapter 11, look at verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, and choose the cut among the animals you may eat. By the way, does anybody remember, remember from Genesis 9 what was allowed and what wasn't allowed? He said everything could be eaten. He said, Don't eat it with its lifeblood. But otherwise, he said, You could eat all the animals. At this point, for God's purposes... For a season to teach them holy versus unholy, clean versus unclean. And also, we also know there was some benefit health-wise. God set up for a period of time that there were certain things you could eat and certain things that you couldn't. Let me keep reading. These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or, or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat of any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the water, waters that does not have fins and scales, is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, Every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat, all winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground." Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. Jump over to verse 46. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. So for this serious season of time, in this period of time, God set up in the law things that were to be eaten, things not to be eaten. Some say that, that Daniel and his friends did not want to eat the king's food because some of those things that were unlawful to eat, according to the law of God, were on that list. And 
most likely that's a big part of what was going on as well. And they would have defiled themselves by breaking the law of God. But Daniel decided not to defile himself with the king's food and what? Go back to Daniel 1. And the wine. Wait a minute. There wasn't any Old Testament law forbidding wine. The passage here says that he didn't want to defile himself with the king's food and the king's wine. But there's no law about forbidding wine. So right now we see that Daniel not wanting to defile himself wasn't because vegetarianism was the way to go and it would be wrong to eat meat. That's not what the Bible said. There's a possibility that it was because these animals had been offered to idols. We don't know that fully. It did happen Definitely in the early church it was an issue. We don't see an issue with it as much in the Old Testament. We definitely see another possibility that he didn't want to defile himself because the meat that was being offered to him was going to be against their law. Stronger possibility that that was the case. But I'm going to throw out to you tonight a fourth possibility. The fourth possibility I think Scripture, scripture hints at is that Daniel decided not to accept the king's buddy-buddy favor and he did so by not accepting his food. You see that word, the king's food? Do you see that there in our Bibles, the king's food? It's actually a Persian word that actually is only used twice in the scripture. The Persian word is pat bag, P-A-T hyphen B-A-G. And it means rich food. Let me show you one other place that it's used. It's in Daniel chapter 11. Look at verse 26. Maybe you see how it's used here. It might help us interpret the king's food. In Daniel 11, look at verse 26. In a prophecy about a king that's going to be coming and all that's going to happen to him. In verse 26, it says, Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away and many shall fall down slain. So that's the only other time in the whole Bible that that word is used. But here we see in that verse, Daniel 11:26. That the king's food was associated with a friendship. Even those that eat his food are going to turn on him. There's a possibility that along with possibly being offered idols, along with food that was unlawful according to the law of Moses, that this other possibility is also tied into it. To accept the king's food would have been akin to being in league with the king. In other words, those who ate the king's food were close to him. They were patrons. They were agreeing to be associated with the king. And Daniel felt, I believe, and I'm going to show you from the scriptures, that to eat the king's food would have been a way of publicly saying, I'm in agreement with the king. But he wasn't. Let me give you a couple of examples from Scripture, and then we'll kind of lay it out. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Do you see that? 
There were some privileges with being associated with Pharaoh, would it not have been some big time privileges? But he chose not to be associated with him, even though he could have. Could Daniel and his buddies have been associated with the king? They were eating the same food that was given to the king, the rich food. And they did not want to defile themselves by making it look like we're in league in agreement with the king. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm pretty sure it's 2 Corinthians this time. We'll find out real quick. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verses 14 through 18. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The Bible teaches that we're not to be in league with the world. We're in this world, but we're going to talk about later, but we're not to be of it. And we have to be really careful that the Spirit of God individually leads us as to when it's okay and when it's not to okay to do certain things. Because in certain instances, God may say, I don't want you to do that because it'll look like you're in agreement and I don't want you to look like you're in agreement. Okay, I'll make a policy that I never, ever do that. Okay, who's your God? Your policy or the Holy Spirit? There's going to be times when the Spirit of God's going to say, have a drink with them. I know it's going to get me in trouble with a lot of people. But listen to me, we're to be led of the spirit and how to live our lives. When the shoe bird's approved, when it's not approved. Do you understand? And many times in scripture, we see eating with someone as being in agreement with them. Because of time, I won't have you read all of these, but go with me to one of them at least. Go to Genesis 31. I've found a bunch of places that show eating as being in agreement. In Genesis 31, look at verses 43 and following. In Genesis 31, look at verses 43 and following. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters and the children are my children. The flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there before, by the heap. Laban called it Jagir Shadathutha. Oh, that was close enough. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me and, to, and, me, and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me, to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, and called his kinsmen to eat bread. 
They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. How did they confirm this agreement between them? They made an altar and they did what? They ate together. Again, if you were to go to uh, Exodus in chapter 24, 1 through 11, you'll see it again. If you go to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12, you'll see that when Ezra read the law, the way they showed that they were in agreement with the law of God that had just been read was they ate together. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. Look at verses nine through twelve. All right, I'll find it. There we go. In First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? But don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, or drunkards, or revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. All right? Now jump back to verse 9 of chapter 5, which is where I really meant to go, because I'm looking at that going, that's not what I was meant. I've got to fix my notes. I've made two mistakes in my notes already. Go to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Paul said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what, I, what have I to do Judge, with judging the outsiders, is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So here he says, look, I've warned you not to associate with immoral people. Now, I'm not talking about the world, because if you don't associate with immoral people, you'd have to leave the world. Which, by the way, a lot of Christians love to build their compounds and have nothing to do with the world. That doesn't do us any good. But at the same time, he said, but if you've got a brother, someone that came, claims to be a follower of Christ, and they're walking in continual blatant sexual immorality, don't eat with them. Don't act like all's okay. Because when you eat with someone, you're showing you're in agreement. I think a part of what Daniel and his buddies were going to do is to say, look, there's lots of things that we're not uh, loving, like our captivity and other things. But here's an area where we can take a stand. We don't want to be in agreement with you. By also, you say, wait a minute, Jim, didn't Jesus eat with sinners? Again, keep in mind, this isn't a law. When Jesus ate with sinners, it was his way of showing them, I actually, I love you. I care about you. Remember, Paul said, we're not to separate ourselves from the world. I'm talking about a brother who claims to be a believer who's walking in sin. But what was Jesus accused of when he ate with sinners? How was it seen? That he was in agreement with them. Even though he wasn't, he was seen as in agreement with them. This is an interesting passage in Proverbs 23. Go to Proverbs 23. There's a passage in Proverbs 23 that warns about getting seduced by kings. Proverbs 23. Look at verses 1 through 3. 
When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Years ago, when my wife and I were newlyweds, and I was on staff at a church, I'm not going to say where, there was a family in that church that was very, very wealthy. And we had nothing. And we enjoyed going over to their house for dinner because they gave us steak and shrimp and even took us with them on trips and they paid for the plane flights. We learned that they had an agenda. And once we learned that they had an agenda, we quickly broke the relationship and they totally cut us off. They had nothing, never spoke to us ever again, even though we were this tight. But it was a big learning for us to watch out for those who appear to be friendly and don't look like you're in agreement with them when they're not in agreement with you in the Word of God. I think that there's a possibility Daniel didn't want to defile himself, possibly because the food offered idols. Most likely because of the law of Moses and some of these animals being unclean. But I think there's a deeper issue here. That they were not wanting to be in, in agreement with the king. Now it's interesting. Go to 2 Kings chapter 25. The Bible doesn't say if what I'm about to read to you is a good thing or a bad thing. But you remember Jehoiachin? Do you remember Jehoiachin from last week? Remember he was the king at the time in Judah when Babylon came and Nebuchadnezzar took captive and he was the one that God gave over to the Babylonians? 2 Kings 25 shows us that Jehoiachin later on did the exact same thing that Daniel and his friends would not do. Look at 2 Kings 25, verses 27 through 30. It says, And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month and on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, the king of Babylon, this is another king after Nebuchadnezzar, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, from prison, and he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Again, the Bible doesn't say whether this is good or bad. But it's interesting that Jehoiachin did what Daniel and the other guys would not do. Folks, I think in essence Daniel and Ananiah... Azariah and Mishael are taking a stand where they can, and God is blessing it. They're saying, you've taken us captive, you've changed our names, you've schooled us in your culture, but our allegiance will always be to our God, O King, and not to you. I think in this instance, more than just the food offered idols and more than just the law of Moses, I think there's an element where they were making a stand and saying, we will worship God. He's our provision. He's our source. And we don't even want it to look like we're doing well because you're taking care of us. God is going to take care of us. Turn real quick to Daniel chapter 3. I'll give you a little foreshadowing of what's going to be coming in our study of Daniel. Look at verses 16 through 18, the famous story of uh, the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar just said, and who's the God's going to deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16 of chapter 3, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, it's interesting. God gave them favor in people's eyes by their taking a stand when it came to the king's food, as we just have read in chapter, chapter 1. But also, if we've just read here in chapter 3, and we're going to see later on in our study of Daniel, there's going to be other instances where, instances where taking a stand for their God was not well received. You think about Daniel in the lion's den. Now, in chapter 1, when they say we're not going to eat the king's food, we're not going to defile ourselves by eating the king's food and drinking his wine, they actually were respected for it. The guy that was in charge of them was a little afraid because he's like, look, if you guys don't eat what they eat, you're going to look worse than them, and I'm going to lose my head. And Daniel says, just give, give God a test for about 10 days. And when at the end of the 10 days, they were fatter in flesh, it says in the Hebrew. It actually means they were healthier. So much so that I'm sure... I'm not so sure the other guys were excited about it, but they took away the meat for everybody and said, uh, now for the next three years, you're only going to eat vegetables. But they took a stand and they were respected for it and God blessed them. Later on, as we just read in chapter three and we're going to read on later on, they'll take stands and they won't be respected for it. They'll be ridiculed for it. But in both instances, God gets glory and he honors those who honor him. Go to Daniel chapter 1 again. Look at verses 15 through 20. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. Now, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that, they, that were in all his kingdom. So... Here we see that the four young men that took the stand were the ones that God honored. Were there a whole bunch of other young men that didn't eat the king's food for three years? Did they have a choice? No. But the ones who made the choice not to defile themselves, but to take a stand, to take a true stand for the true God, they were the ones who God honored and glorified. Again, what's God looking at? He's looking at our hearts. All those other guys could say, God, God, we didn't eat it either. Yeah, okay, they went for 10 days more than us. But for the most part, over three years, what's that? We didn't eat the food. How come they're getting glorified? Because they did it from their heart. You did it because it was a law. And you were made to do it. Do you see the difference? How many people over the years have thought that God owes you something because you've been faithful I haven't, I haven't looked at the stuff other people have not looked at. I haven't drank the stuff the other people haven't drank. Lord, all these years I've served you. You haven't even given me a goat. Does that sound familiar? Like the older brother in the prodigal son story? God is not looking at how well you keep the law. He's looking at the heart behind 
what you do. Oh, and by the way, I love the fact that we have a God that when you try to follow him, not because of law, but because from the heart, there are going to be days you mess up. Would you not agree? There are days I mess up. Please help me. Are there others that agree? Would you not? You mess up too? But he knows your heart. He knows your heart. If he knows your heart, he's not worried about the slip-up day. Because it's not about the law. It's about your heart. Again, we want so bad when we get into a discussion of living all to the glory of God in whatever we do, whether we eat or we drink and whatever we do, and immediately we all want to become little gods and look around and say, well, does that glorify God? Is what you're doing glorify God? Years ago, when I was in New Orleans as an associate pastor, a lot of times I would hang out and, with the singles department. This is the, I actually was there one year before Becky and I got married. And, and so I was in the singles department, and we were on a Sunday afternoon one day, and, and we were eating lunch after church at this uh, Western Sizzlin' or whatever it was. But there was a bunch of us all singles, and this one young man was sitting there sharing his heart, pouring his heart out, and the fact that his girlfriend had broken up with him the night before. And as he's telling us how he was so distraught, he had a Volkswagen bug, and he said, all I did last night was drive for hours cranking REO Speedwagon and singing the REO Speedwagon songs. And this one girl, I still remember it, her name was Sean. She looks at him, serious as all get out. Does REO Speedwagon glorify God? She missed the whole point. The poor man was hurting and he was just sharing. And she was more interested in whether or not that music he was listening was appropriate music. If you, any of you have been in church for any period of time, you've run into those people. and Maybe you've been one of those people. God looks at your heart. By the way, the Bible actually says he gave him wisdom when it came to understanding did you know he also gave him the ability to interpret dreams? By the way, um, I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you want to go read it again, it's a pretty cool story. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 23, talks about Joseph. Remember Joseph? He took a stand that he would not defile himself with Potiphar's wife. By the way, was he respected for it? But what happened to him is God honored him everywhere he went, even in the dungeon. And he also gave him the ability to interpret dreams. I'm not getting wacky on you here, but I want you to stick with me. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 6. Paul's just finished saying that he doesn't want our faith to rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In verse 6, he then says this, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit, that's the capital S in our Bibles, the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, the natural person doesn't expect, accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Listen closely. Paul said, for those of us who are mature and for those who are mature, we have a wisdom that the world doesn't understand. But unfortunately, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're able to tap into this type of wisdom. Have you ever thought about the fact of how in the world did Peter know that Ananias and Sapphira were lying about the amount of money? The only answer is the Spirit of God told them. That's why it's dangerous for trying to judge people's motives because we don't know people's motives. We don't know what's in their heart. Well, the only reason she did that is because you don't know that. But at the same time, those of us who are willing to learn how daily to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit can begin to walk in such a way that as Jesus could walk into a situation and know who the phonies were and who weren't and who was speaking truth and what their heart issues really were, who were the whitewashed walls, I can tell you that that is very possible for many of us, but you have to get past the looking at everything with man's eyes according to the law, and allow God to begin to show you people's hearts. You know that widow that just gave those two pennies? Her heart was such that that was all she had. God honored it. Oh, there are a bunch of other people dumping in lots of money. And you know, those are the people we actually give the best seats in the church. But be careful. Don't be beguiled by the rich ruler. Folks, let me just say to you, this is something that the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to have God take this word and have it come alive to us and show us deep things. Don't just sit back and say, well, only Jim Johnson or the preacher can understand that stuff. He's been to seminary. This is not learned in seminary. Let me tell you, one of the best things that ever happened to me while I was in seminary was the fact that I was on staff at a church while I was in seminary. And I could sit there and say, waste of time, that never happens. And I could actually say, hey, that's a value. And I could actually glean some things. And I knew what to chuck and what to keep. But you know what? I've seen seminary do more damage to people than it's done good. Don't sit back and think that this wisdom that we're talking about is from learning. It's from walking with the Spirit of God. Some of you probably have some grandmothers grandfathers, that they don't talk a whole lot, but they walk with Jesus. And when they do speak, they've already seen through all the other stuff, and they get right to the issue. I want to be one of those people. I don't want to be one of those people that says, oh, Jim's just talking again. Oh, trust me, they've said that about me over the years. I've actually had people tell me one time, Jim, you know, you talk until you think of something. Sometimes I have. But at the same time, I'm not saying that you need to come and tell me your dreams and I'll interpret them. I probably won't. I'll say you shouldn't eat that pizza before you went to bed. But let me just say this. There is available to you and I, if we're willing to 
take a stand, not to defile ourselves with this world. That God says, I don't have any favorites, but I have intimates. And that's available to all of us. This wisdom is given to the mature, those who are in this world, but not of it. So what we're going to do in the time we have left tonight is I'm going to have you go with me fast. I'm going to read to you scriptures that pretty much say this better than I ever could say it. Go to John chapter 15. You want to become one of these men and women who have this deep insight, this knowledge, this wisdom that the world doesn't understand? You've got to let these truths from the scripture take root in your heart. Because if it's in your heart, you're going you're to act on it. In John chapter 15, look at verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I had said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jump over to chapter 17, look at verses 14 through 19. Jesus is praying, he says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jump over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, look at verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. By the way, when we see passages like this, that's when the preacher tells you what movies you can see and which ones you can't, what TV shows are appropriate, which ones aren't. You know what? I believe God's so big, He can show you which one He wants you to watch and which ones He hasn't. He knows which ones are going to corrupt you and which ones aren't. And He's going to tell you when to take a stand and when not to take a stand. But listen closely. If you hear God show you something about a certain TV show or a certain this, that, or the other, don't be like Sean and make it your job to tell everybody what you think is glorifying to God and what isn't glorifying to God. We're going to come back to Romans 14 as we close in just a second, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, verses 9 and 10. This is a section I tried to get to before. Look again at 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy of the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to get out of the world. You all know Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm sure, right? That we're to, by the mercies of God, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice which is our spiritual act of worship or our reasonable service. And we're not to be conformed to what? The pattern of this world, but we're to be 
transformed by the renewing. Actually, in the Greek, it's a daily renewing of our mind. It's a continual renewing of our mind, not just every morning, but throughout the day. We need to allow the Spirit of God to be in control of how we look at things, how we, we go. But then, listen closely, the rest of that passage, we all don't finish. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to know and approve and test what the will of God is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's that insight I was talking about. I'm not talking about interpreting your dreams, but that may be a possibility. But listen closely to me. When you learn how to say no to the world and yes to Jesus and walk in that way, God gives you wisdom and insight and peace and joy. And in the midst of the chaos of the world, you're not sucked into all the other stuff everybody else is sucked into because you are walking in this world, but you're not of it. You see it from a whole different perspective. And you can actually look at people and say, instead of those horrible jerks out there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see the difference in the prayer between a lot of Christians today and how Jesus prayed? You see the difference between how the church is acting today, all righteous about what's going on in the world, versus how Stephen said, Father, don't hold this sin against them? There's a difference between those of us who are walking in the Spirit and those of us who aren't. James chapter 1, verse 27 talks about real religion. True religion is taking care of orphans and widows and what? Does anybody know? Keeping yourself unstained or unpolluted by the world. That's going to be a daily struggle because as we already saw in 1 John chapter 2, the enemy's trying to pull us down and he's using the world, the flesh, the devil to pull us away. It's going to be a regular struggle. We'll close real quickly. We've got two minutes. We can do it. Y'all did good. Go to Romans 14. Go to Romans 14. We probably would have finished a minute sooner, but I read two passages that were written wrong in my notes, but that's my fault, not yours. So Romans 14, let me read to you again where we left off. Romans chapter 14, verse 4, Who are you to judge someone or pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks, gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Why did Daniel decide not to eat the food? We don't specifically know. All that to say that, Jim, you could have saved us a lot of time. It could have been the offered idols. It could have been against the law. It could have been he didn't want to be in league with the king. But in that instance, God told him, take a stand. And God honored it. You learn how to walk that way in the stands God has you to take. And don't assume everybody else is supposed to take the same stand. I love you. We will see you in two weeks because next week I'm going to be preaching in Georgia. See you in two weeks.